that's why I've always put all my money in land, all of it, because if shit hits the fan, I also know too, I know that market. Land, I know what that shit's worth, and it's not going to crash tomorrow, right? And if you see a slide going, you can sell before you ask it's burned, right? You can't take it from me. I can go hunt on it, and if the world goes to shit, I can go live on it. I can live off it. So that's why you're seeing more and more people with all the crazy shit going on right now in our country. That's why more people are buying land. I mean, it is like the number one investment. I can't, I can't, uh, I feel bad that you haven't had any uh, real good weather when you brought your wife up here to show her Western Montana. And then yesterday the fog was just like settled in like crazy and... I don't even think she probably thought there was a mountain here for the first 24 hours. She actually didn't. When we landed, she's like, I thought there was supposed to be mountains around here in Montana. And I'm like, trust me, babe. Like, it's dark. We landed in the airport. And then we got up in the morning. She's like, I don't see shit for mountains. And yeah. I'm like, no, we're in the middle of them right now. We're just down low and it's foggy. But Yeah, for anybody that thinks they want to move to Montana, first of all, don't. And then <laughs> second of all, in the winter, we do get we get these inversions and we get fogged in just in this valley. Yeah. And it's wild because if you drive just up on the mountain 10 minutes from the shop, it'll just be a bluebird, beautiful day. Yeah. But we're socked down in these in this valley in the fog. But uh, so I wanted to I wanted to talk about the uh, your lodge. I want to kind of get into some of the history and stuff behind, behind Whitetail Properties. But the thing that's like been most mind boggling that I've seen you done in the last five, six months on Instagram has been this Buffalo nickel lodge Mm -hmm. that you've been building. I I thought here, I thought you were like a real estate, you know, tycoon or whatever you (laughs) want to call it. And as it turns out, you're like an unbelievable framer. Is that something you'd always been a builder before? Um, actually just so, you know, just growing up, um, dad passed away at an early age dropped out of college like right away. So when I was 18 years old, I was basically on myself. So um, if I needed anything done, whether it build something or accounting or basically anything, I've just kind of self-taught myself everything. Yeah. Um, And I've just always been one of those people that um, I just want to learn everything I can about something. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't claim to be an expert in anything, but I like building. Like I think, of life would have been different turns for me. I would have been probably work construction or yeah. engineering or something because I just like building cool shit. Um, yeah. And then I just, I get a, I get a kick out of people like seeing kind of the things we build. And I'm kind of, I've kind of got one style that I kind of that Western native yeah. kind of decor is kind of what I run with. But um, yeah, it's all kind of self-taught and just surround myself with, smart guys that know how to do it and just pick up on it. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Cause it's kind of that. I, I think part of why I like it so much is it's my kind of style. Mm-hmm. It's like that rough sawn, um, kind of old, almost like barnwood type look, um, custom. Uh, but, but what you built was, you know, I mean, a lot of people build stuff on their own, but what you guys built there is like, could be in a magazine. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable how beautiful of, of a job you guys did on that. Now, is that, is that going to be a hunting lodge? Is that something just for private or personal? Or are you guys selling hunts or what? Yeah. So, um, I've got a really good friend of mine that I hunted with in South Africa six years ago. 
Um, he came to the States. I brought his family over, got them citizenship, um, trust the guy with my life. So he, we started doing some upland hunting. Um, and you know, we're like, yeah, let's just build a lodge. And he's like, well, you know, don't spend a lot of money. And he goes, I've already got the clients and you don't need to do it. But my problem is I can't just leave shit alone. So yeah. And you can't go half ass, no half ass. So, you know, I'm like, I'm so old school. I have like a piece of paper with a ruler and I'm like drawing the building out and I'm like, okay, as long as we have four walls, we'll figure out the other shit in the middle. So that's kind of how my building process works. So we're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just build this lodge. Let's build it super badass. We're right in the middle of Kansas. There's nowhere other than like Wichita or you get out to like Denver or down to Oklahoma city or Dallas. There's no really spots to hold corporate events. Um, and a lot of guys like upland hunting. So we've got a lot of native birds there, but I also have a controlled license that I can release birds too. Okay. Um, yeah, I still run some deer hunts. Mm-hmm. So I was running those just out of houses and stuff. And I've, I'm, I'm booked out for years on my deer stuff. So we're still going to run some deer hunts. We're going to do obviously the upland and the upland is like a whole kind of experience because we brought in a couple, um, snipers, retired snipers. We built a badass like one mile range. So we offer, um, basically if you want, I can bring these guys in. And like, I had a group of clients in a couple of weeks ago, I had a couple of women there that have never shot rifles before. And within 15 minutes, they were just pinging at a thousand yards. Like you would awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's super cool watching people like even my wife, you know, she does, she's like, I can't, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, listen to him, listen to everything he's saying. He'll explain the MOA, the whole, you know, there's a whole art to it. And, um, when you have the right person teaching you how to do something on hand. So that's the other thing too, is like, we've got a trap course upland super badass facility that we can hold we can we can have about 150 people there for events okay. so we can even we're even set up for like outdoor concerts and so really like i did it more first for the hunting but then i'm like you know there's nowhere to have classes or like knife making or um you know backpacking wilderness stuff like so i'm trying to like bring these people in right that are experts in their field that don't have a venue we've got a venue and then just work a deal out with them. They bring their clients in through social media or we advertise it, um, bring groups in. And so, so far it's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, you guys just, I mean, just finished it, right? I mean, you're probably a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I saw you guys putting targets up and I think you had clients coming in like that weekend. I mean, you were right up against it. Five minutes. We were down to the wire five minutes before, uh, uh, Mike Gerst and Heather came really like literally they were the first clients first clients ever to walk through the door that is cool yeah that's and it couldn't be better people so yeah it was awesome that's cool uh, so I think what's cool and what I really respect about a, a lot of things that you do is like you're, you're kind of involved in things right now that look um, uh, uh, you know glamorous there there's some higher dollar stuff with selling farms and buying farms or like this lodge and whatnot so it's like somebody could just assume that um, you know, you've always had money or you've always kind of, you know, maybe, maybe you were born into it or whatever. And there's this, uh, like glitz and glam lifestyle that you've always led. Right. But <laughs> yeah, l- let's go back to when you were kind of where you're from and some of your upbringing. Cause I, yeah. I want to eventually get into whitetail properties and the whole real estate thing. But I think it, I think it really, 
is like the ultimate American dream of really yeah. what you've built yeah. and where you're at today. And, 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 you know, I'll kind of finish up at the end of this, but getting back to how much I respect that you've gotten to the place that you have with, with businesses and with life, but you're still the guy on Instagram with a tool belt on building a lodge. Yeah. You know, so you haven't gotten away from also just that hard, hardcore work, but wh- where, where did you grow up? So I grew up outside Chicago. Um, my dad, so when you talk like, uh, when you talk about, um, you know, a, um, a good American story. So my dad was an immigrant from Sicily, came over here in the 60s, um, basically came over by himself as a kid. I don't know if he jumped on a boat or how he got here, but he got here, got a citizenship when he was like 18 years old by himself. You, you never got to ask him or really get into that? You know... <sighs> It was one of those things, he passed away when I was 18, and I spent almost every day with him, but when you're a kid and you're just like... You're not deep. Yeah, you're... Yeah. um, I know a lot of stuff probably would have came out in the last 30 years now, but Mm -hmm. um, I wish I could go back and ask him some of this stuff, but like I found um, all his paperwork from the government and everything when he became a citizen. Um, So basically, he was trying to get a... He was a hardworking guy, kid came from Sicily. They didn't have shit there. So he wanted to live the American dream, found his way over here and um, basically started a pizza place when he was a kid. He's probably one of the first guys like my family in Sicily. They're like still all in business. Um, Kind of brought that whole pizza wave over here, which is kind of crazy. Now there's pizza places on every corner, but yeah. So I basically grew up in the pizza place in the restaurant. Um, I remember five, six years old as a kid, I'm working these giant grinders, you know, with like 10 pound blocks of mozzarella cheese. And if, if OSHA saw that shit today, like (laughs) my dad would be in fucking jail because like I'm, you know, chopping with huge knives and jamming blocks of cheese down grinders and everything. But that was just back then how we grew up. You know what I mean? It's like, you just get it done. So did you have siblings? Yeah. So my sister was older. Um, and it's, she, wasn't really in the restaurant as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but a younger brother still has a restaurant in St. Louis. But so we kind of grew around that family restaurant atmosphere. That and that's hard work. I mean, man, every now and then I hear people say like, oh, I think I'm starting a restaurant. I'm like, my, my wife grew up in the restaurant business. Yeah. And um, she talks about, you know, doing dishes and waiting tables and you know her dad was the bartender and her you know and also doing stuff running the grill and her mom was waitressing and running the grill and it's like that is work that never ends i mean the oh, next yeah. day it's all the food prep and all the cleanup and just it's just constant non-stop yeah it was uh it was basically seven days a week for my dad his whole life so the and this is one of the things i respect about my father you know looking back now is we were closed on Mondays, so he always found time on Mondays. He took us all out to dinner. Like, that was kind of our thing. And then vacation, we would take five days. He would take five days off a year. That was it, you know? Yeah. And at that time, I was like, holy shit, man, we're going on vacation. Yeah. You know, now people are like, if they don't take two, three months off, they're going to cry. So <laughs> yeah. it, it's funny, you know, just how times have changed and how life's got easier for people or just lax, I guess, more than anything. What was a what was an example of a vacation you guys would do? So we would, like, go to Arizona because he okay. liked Arizona because uh, it reminded him of where he's from in Sicily. Okay. And I think that's why, too, I'm building a house there right now, 
and I think I'm doing it because I'm kind of trying to live his, you know, his dream, his dream through him. me. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, basically school work every day for me. That's kind of how I grew up. We didn't, we just got by, even though people think you own your own business and it's, all I can say is it's hard ass work. It's not 40 hours, you yeah. know, this eight to five shit that people talk about. Right. I always say in life, there's eight to fivers and then there's grinders, yeah. you know, and then it's, but some people need to be eight to five. Mm-hmm. It's just, they're not wired, you know, the same as other people. Yeah. And businesses need eight to fivers. So, I mean, it's, yeah. there's, you know, all, all sorts of different people out there. Um, how, how, how did your dad pass away? He got cancer. Okay. Um, it was terminal cancer. It was a weird, so my dad still like, he worked out, didn't drink, didn't smoke, was built like a brick shit house. Like, and he didn't feel good one day. His stomach hurt for some reason. Went in, the doctors were like, oh, you have cancer really bad. And that was like a, a whole two year roller coaster emotionally too, because we, uh, he had surgery. They were like, yep, all the cancer's gone. Everything's fine. Um, and then, like, six months later, it was, like, boom, terminal. And then it went into his bones and his spine and everything. So it was, mm. like, it was quick when it came back. Yeah. So, Damn. Yeah, it was just – so it's, you know, it's – I've tried to turn that into a blessing, mm-hmm. being kind of on my own since I was 18, because I've always lived – I've kind of lived life – I don't wait to do shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't care about failing because I know – I always say, like, in life, you got to win 51% of the game. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you can fuck up 49%. You just <laughs> yeah. got to win 40, 51, and yeah. you want it life, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I've always just, like, try to create shit, build shit, do what I want, because you never know. I yep. mean, you, I could feel like shit tomorrow and find out I have cancer. And then right. it's like, fuck, I wanted to do all this stuff in my life. And so that's it. I think a lot of people, more people probably – need to live that way yeah but it's a little careless maybe but it's also fulfilling it's always super sad when you see somebody put in this huge career and they get to that 65 years old or 62 and they're gonna retire and go to alaska and fish and do all these things and they you you hear about them i mean happens all the time people retire and you know have a heart attack two weeks later and die never never you know they saved all their money forever and they saved all those adventures forever and they never even got to do them yeah but uh, what what was so what was that like once your once your dad passed away and he's operating this business you're 18 mm-hmm. I, I would imagine was your mom still alive at that point yep so my mom basically said and I had gone to college at the exact same time so my mom said basically if you want to stay in school I'm going to sell the restaurant I'm moving to Arizona but those are the options mm-hmm. and. You know, I I was literally in school for like two weeks. And when you're going to college, it's pretty fun for the first two weeks. Because yeah. there's a lot of partying and fucking around you're doing. And yeah. I'm like, I was like, okay, well, it's time to grow up like right now. So either I stay in school and ride this out or I said, you know what, fuck it. I'm, I wanted to like make my dad proud. Mm-hmm. So I took a loan out, paid all of his medical bills off. My mom moved to Arizona, and I took the restaurant over. Literally dropped out of school in two weeks. Really? Grabbed all my shit, moved back to the town in Illinois we're from, and paid everything off and 
started and never skipped a beat at the restaurant, just kept the doors open. Yeah, I was going to ask, how prepared were you to actually run it? I mean, had you done enough to, at that point, at that age, to really know the ins and outs of running it? Everything probably except the accounting side of it and the taxes and all that bullshit. Um, So that was all, like, I still remember, like, on Sunday nights, it was like, because I was closed on Monday, so... I remember on Sunday nights still being so busy. I didn't even have time literally to take a shit. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm literally like doing accounting in the bathroom at like 11 o'clock at night after I close, like trying to do accounting paperwork and book work and bills and shit, you know, to, for the next week and figure out like, okay, who's going to get paid this week. And, you know, right. So it was, again, I just, did you have any help? No. I mean, I was a by myself and just employees, but shit, my, it was all my peers, you know what I mean? It was all like 16 to 18 year old kids that I was hiring, you know? Right. Right. Kids I went to school with that stayed around town. And, um, did you have success with it? Yeah. So until I sold it to invest the money to start Whitetail Properties, um, I think I was like the top 15% in the country of profitable restaurants Mm. for dollars. So, To me, looking, I mean, it was because you're just there every day. You know what I mean? I was there 60, 70 hours a week, and it's just like mundane. You know, it's just holy shit, you know, at the end of it and every week. But then, but I never, I never took time really to sit back and say, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But like I moved from one building, bought another building because I was so busy. And then when Whitetail, basically when that concept started, I was so busy, I had bought, I basically chased Pizza Hut out of town, and I bought their building, which oh, is really? like, it was such like a badass move, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I was like, get the fuck out, and then I bought their place and put my restaurant in Pizza Hut, um, but it, that place was so busy, so packed, I had, it was standing room only, like all day and night, um, and the town I'm in is like 4,000 people, so right. to have that kind of business, I mean, I literally fed that town for 15 years I was in business there and I was going to have to tear the building down and probably invest over a million dollars. So in your twenties, I mean, that's pretty fucking scary to think of taking a loan out for that kind of money. And I knew right then I'm like, if I do this right now, I am married to this restaurant forever. Right. right. Cause who's going to come to a small town and be able to do what I did and work the hours I work. Mm-hmm. Um, so the timing, everything kind of lined up the same time. So how old, how old were you when this whitetail property thing, when you, that, 31 and that's a, and that's about when you sold the restaurant. Yep. It was about the exact same time. So did you sell the restaurant because of just what you were talking about or, or because of whitetail? It literally was exact same timing. Um, so we, you had no idea at that point of whitetail was going to be successful. I mean, you were kind of selling it and changing past regardless. And then I figured that. So kind of my plan was, was I kind of knew money-wise where I was at the restaurant, what I needed to make. And it, I mean, still, even though I was super busy and everything, still wasn't shit mm-hmm. compared to normal jobs. So um, I'm like, okay, if I can replace this with something fun to do, like, and I get to hunt and work on land and do some fun shit, I'm like, screw it. Because yeah. I can always go back and open a restaurant. That's the way I looked. That was my fallback. I'm like, I can always open a restaurant. Doesn't right. you know? Um, so yeah, everything. How, how did that concept happen with Whitetail? 
So I was buying, so when I was 18, I started buying a couple little farms. And this was back 30 years ago when um, banks, I had local banks in town that were giving me loans to buy these farms, but they were doing it with 0% down, which is fucking crazy. Because, and then I was setting it up on 12 month payments. Okay. So I'd go in, buy these farms. I would like fix, I'd do food plots on a four wheeler and like hand seed shit, do gates and everything. There was a real estate company in town and I'm from Pike County, Illinois and Pike County, Illinois is like, you know, deer capital of the world basically. So the place exploded during the late eighties and nineties with out of state hunters and investors. So my friend owned a real estate company in Pittsfield and he would, he'd always say, Hey, uh, that 40 acres you got, or that 60 you got, you want to sell it? I'm like, yeah, fuck it. You know, cause I'll just, I'll just buy another one. So that's how it kind of started. And were, now, were you a hunter also at this time? Yeah. Did you grow up hunting? Nope. So basically, I didn't start hunting until I was like 15 years old, 16, because my dad didn't hunt. Um, I think he did, and they shot rabbits and shit in Italy. Um, but he basically just worked every day. So yeah. um, I, when he got sick and we moved to that town in Pittsfield, I had some friend's dad that took me out. I, I still remember that hunt to this day. Um, and I knew that morning that I was going to be a bow hunter because I was hooked. Like being out there, clearing your mind, um, you know, there's something really special about hunting that people mm-hmm. don't, especially non-hunters, they don't have a fucking clue, like why we do it. Right. And I guess everyone has their own reasons, but I started doing it for peace and quiet and to be outside away from everything else. Yeah. Um, but back to the whitetail. So during that time, um, I was running some hunts too um, in Southern Illinois. And I met one of the other co-founders. He had a production company, was doing some waterfall videos. And um, we hooked up one night. He was filming a guy. I was guiding him. And he's like, hey, I got all this production company, um, all this equipment and everything. And and I was telling him about buying farms and he was in my truck and I had a closing statement and he was looking at it and he's like, fuck man. He goes, you made like 50 grand, like a month off this deal. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, God, he goes, maybe you should, maybe we should just figure out a way to do a TV show. And like, it was just a crazy ass idea at that time. You know, it was just like fucking kids, you know, just like, so we're like, man, yeah, it'd be cool. And we could base it around whitetails and like selling hunting property and, um, so during that same time, Dan Perez, and he had some other clients too, and they're the other co-founders, they literally were buying farms in the same county. So we all kind of knew each other. We all had our own like click. Like I was kind of by myself. These guys had their own group too. And, and I knew them, we knew each other. We were all friendly about it, but we we're competitive as shit trying to find farms. Yeah. So, um, Paul, uh, the guy that owned that one of the co-founders too, he, he's like, well, we need to find someone with a broker's license. Well, I'm like, dude, Dan Prez is like the timber ninja. He was with PSE for fucking 30 in the seventies, eight, whenever PSE started, he's been old school, like in the industry. So yeah, he was one of my customers at the restaurant too. So we met Dan and Dan literally accused us of spying on him because <laughs> he was already talking to this other group that I knew about starting a real estate company. So then we all met at one of their cabins and we literally hashed that out over two hours and we're like, Hey, 
let's start a real estate company. Let's do the TV show. Let's, and this like the internet was still not what it is today. Yeah. And, what um, year was this? Uh, seven, 18 or 2017. Okay. So, um, we're like, let's just all dump in 50 grand each, you know, and just get going. So, I mean, literally we started that day, but it was right during the economy, like when Obama economy was like kind of shitty. So you mean more like 2007? Oh, seven. Sorry. Shit. I didn't mean yeah. 17. Yeah. I did that yesterday. I told someone 17. They're like, that doesn't fucking add up. And I'm like, I yeah. swear I'm telling the truth. No, <laughs> yeah. seven, 2007. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's basically, we just all put yeah, money so into 08, this concept. 08, 09, like, I mean, when you think about starting a real estate company, that's... Yeah kind of a bad time um because yeah. i mean when you got into t- by 2010 shit's not good no um it was literally to the point that we kept funding it and it was i still remember like i was broke shit because i the restaurant was gone i didn't have shit to fall back on paul sold his mortgage business lived in my garage and i remember i was living literally eating cans of tuna and drinking natural light like a, <laughs> like a fucking criminal. So yeah. like that's, I mean, we were to the point I'm, I'm talking like weeks of saying, fuck it. Yeah. Like, Cause when we were down in uh, St. Louis together this summer, I mean, Paul was sitting there at, uh, at, at dinner kind of telling some of those stories. And I mean, it was kind of amazing to me, but he was talking about just like how broke, like just how crazy broke you guys were and just yeah. how crazy it was. I mean, yeah. like how on the edge of like one more bad thing happens and it's all over. It literally. And what's crazy too about Paul is his, he's the same age as me. His dad passed away. He was eight. Same. Our stories are almost identical. So like we are so much alike. It's crazy. So I don't think most people probably would have got kicked in the face that many times and wouldn't have been able to keep going. Mm-hmm. But it's like, dude, I just like fucking hate, don't want to fail. Like, mm-hmm. do not want to fail. I know this shit's going to work. So we just stuck it, stuck it, stuck it. And then it was just like a light switch. And I don't know the exact moment, but I remember like, holy shit, we started getting sales. And then... Was just, the TV show going at this time now? It was. And yeah. was it on the Outdoor Channel or where were uh, you? It was on Sportsman's Channel. Okay. Um, and that's when airtime was fucking crazy because everyone wanted to be a fucking TV professional hunter. Well, and that was before YouTube really was like a big thing. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the only place really you were getting outdoor-type content was really on t- on the Outdoor Channel or yep. Sportsman's or, yeah. Yeah, and Sportsman's was fairly new at that time too. Um, and it was actually tough to get on the outdoor channel unless you were there for a long time, unless like the mossy oak real tree. How, um, how'd you guys do that? Where did you guys kind of shoot a whole season and then, and then pitch it to them or? Yeah. Yep. So we shot a year worth, um, basically Paul filmed me, ran around and shot a bunch of whitetails all over the place. And then we got some hunts from a few other guys, put it together, um, went to shot show that year. Um, Paul's like a fucking genius at marketing. So went to shot show start. He had some, he had some connections from the waterfowl world in the past. So he had, you know, if he has an audience, he'll get someone's attention. So yeah, that's, he, he, he's good at holding court, dude. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> like he'll tell stories I'm involved with. And I'm like, dude, that's a fucking badass story. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. That was, I was there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
yeah, we had like some of the, like Realtree was, um, they hunted with me and they gave us a shot. Like, so I give ton of credit to Realtree because they were one of the ones that believed in us. Like when we were just starting out, man, and everyone was on the Realtree train, you know, and back then. So, um, like Reconyx camera, some of the companies that we've been with from day one gave us a shot stuck with us when like everyone was trying to get sponsors and stuff. And yeah, we, and we, we landed them and performed well for these guys. Cause we had the production company too. And that was the thing. Like that's this whole outdoor TV shit's changed so much in the last 15 years. It's, you know, guys used to just get TV shows because they killed shit on TV. Right. And unless you're can quantify sales to companies and they added on the added benefits. Mm-hmm. There's no, you can't, I mean, yeah. you're better off putting your money on Instagram. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so you started selling some properties, your TV show was on, uh, do you think, do you think some of your clients were finding you guys through the TV show? They were. Yeah. yeah. So we put basically all the money towards the TV show. We were trying to just break even or just lose a little money on the TV show. Um, and then put all the money ter- towards search engine op- optimization. Because no one at that time, in 2017, nobody was doing what we were doing. 07? I, I don't know why the fuck it keeps saying 17. <laughs> 07. Um, something traumatic must happen in 17 to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like no one was really pumping the business. Like, I mean, right. if you look today now. Right. We've created a whole industry. 100%. I mean, it's fucking crazy how yeah. many people sell hunting property now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's, we just reinvested everything back in, back in, back in, back in, and just wanted to be, when people thought about hunting property, at least in the Midwest, like Illinois, Missouri, Iowa, that was our, that's where we, the concept was, we were just going to stay in those states. Um, were you, how much of the business was you guys buying and selling the property versus like, because at a certain point you had to have been starting to just list. Oh yeah, and brokerage it. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, uh, right away it right was away. probably ninety ten and of bro- brokerage versus what you owned. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, you can only buy so much property when you don't have a lot of money. Right. And there is like, and there is a, having all the partners on a property, and then there's a conflict with clients at that point. So. Right. We've so I still obviously own a lot of properties, but I keep it away from the company side totally. Like mm-hmm. so if it's other companies have things listed and I try to buy stuff away from our company just visually for the public. It's not, you know, it's just kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, so like I said, we're just dumping a ton of money into search engine optimization, the T V show and trying to get viewers on there and um yeah, and so then at the same time, we started hiring agents and giving them protected territories and then kind of carving this new real estate model that no one did before because Century 21, the Remaxes, all those people, they just hire, if you got a pulse, you're fucking hired. You know, that's how most real estate companies are. So they, explain a protected area. So we will look at uh, like Illinois, right? Uh, we probably got eight to 10 different agents in Illinois. So we'll carve out where we feel like, okay, these four counties or these, you know, maybe there's not really strong hunting over here. So we'll put in some counties over here. So we'll give someone, you know, 10, four to 15 counties basically. Yeah. And that's their county. 
they get to advertise in that county. The office, our marketing dollars, the company spends, we promote them as the specialist in that county. Yep. So there's not backstabbing shit that you see like at other real estate companies. Sure. So the big thing, and you probably saw this in St. Louis, is like we are, our company is like a family. Yeah. And that's like for our size, it's kind of crazy to think it's like, Everyone in this room are brothers and sisters at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Like mm-hmm. people go to each other's parties, events, like they're all on the same team. There's no backstabbing. Like, yep. Yeah. And to prevent that, where if it's like, hey, I'm interested in a property over in such and such county, and it's like, well, you know, let me put you in touch with John over there. He's, he's yep. great. He knows that area really well. It definitely. Yeah. I can see where that would prevent a lot of issues where like the big, big companies, like you say, there's a Remax office all over the damn place in, right. in the same city so right. now you're literally competing it's showing the same home exactly yeah. yeah and that's where that's where a lot of the the kind of the dirty part about real estate that's mm-hmm. where that shit happens is, yeah it's a lot of in-house kind of bs is where that comes from yeah so you and it's cool because you're also going to naturally attack attract agents that are kind of your kind of people, right? I mean, if you're, if you're focused in hunting properties and you're not as focused in, um, you know, commercial apartment buildings and, you know, track homes and, you know, you're, if you're, if you're focused and, and also that's going to help you be better at what you do. Cause you're going to know that one niche inside and out. You're going to master like, like, like anything. And we, we, we have this conversation here all the time. People are like, Oh, you should make this or, Oh, that milling machine will make that. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're a knife company. We're going to stick to knives, right? But it's right. easy to see that shiny little thing over there and be like, well, God, we could maybe make some money on that. Yeah. And you have to kind of force yourself back into your lane. But you're but by doing that, you're going to attract agents that like to hunt, want to hunt, maybe right. understand land and farms and farming and who those people are. So it's going to help you actually be more successful. Yeah. So typically real estate companies want like trained real estate agents. And honestly, I'm going to say like 2% of the people we hire are probably real estate because we don't want a trained real estate agent. We want someone that is passionate about the outdoors, family, God's gun. You know what I mean? That's, Mm -hmm. those are the people we want. And we always say, we can train you. If you have the passion for the outdoors and hunting and are not a D bag, like, We'll teach everything else. And it's getting someone passionate about, and we usually, we have a pretty extensive um, training program and interview process. Right. So we usually weed out, you know, those people and it's, so. Yeah, you can help them get their license or get trained. The other thing is too, if it's a small town, if it's Montana, for example, and it's Lincoln, Montana, where I grew up, right? You, you, you might not find a qualified agent there, but you might find one dude that knows everybody yeah, and they know where the high water is and where the river floods and where, you know, where there is no water if you drill a well and like all the things that actually matter also in real estate besides just the lawyer contract stuff. Right. You know? Um, and they also know all the people in town and when Billy Bob over there is going to think about selling his farm and, you know, so I can see where all those, all those little things that are kind of, uh, you know, uh, intangibles come together to make a great agent. Yeah. And so we've like some of those guys you're talking about, like the small town guys that know everything. 
we've had some of those guys now that actually don't want to get a license, but they've came on as assistants. It, you know, the law changes like what they can and can't do, Mm -hmm. but those it's, it's gold for them because it's a secondary income or retired guys that can make some extra money. And they're basically just an assistant to the agent, writing the contracts, showing the farms. A lot of these guys don't want to do that shit, but they know everyone in town. They know what's for sale. They know what's going to be for sale. So, um, yeah, there's there's definitely layers to the hunting property game, you know, and it's and you said you were only going to be in like those three states originally. Yeah, yeah, and that, I think we're in 40, 43 right now. We'll be in. I think we'll end up being in fifty. I'm struggling emotionally with California. <laughs> that's like my big thing, but um, we'll probably be in all fifty. Yeah, um, that's that will be the plan. And I know that we're looking at Canada right now and we're looking at Mexico. Um, really? We've got attorney like we're kind of looking through laws and things right now because um, I mean, there's some really, really good shit in Canada. And Mexico oh, God. And yeah. Alberta, um, Saskatchewan. Yeah. Yeah. But like right now, if you got on your computer and try to find a hunting farm for sale, good luck. Like. Good yeah. luck trying to find something. It's it's just crazy right now. It's basically like what it was in the 2000s, really before we kind of blew this market up. It was every mom and pop that don't have websites. You don't, unless you're there, you don't, you can't find this stuff. So how many founders do you have then? How many? There was seven originally, and then we have bought some of them out. Mm-hmm. And then what we've been doing the last, I guess, five years um, is we have thresholds that we have like criteria, like it's a process of like 10 different things. So every so often, basically we say, okay, we talked about this for many years and then we wanted to figure out a way to let the agents that were kicking ass that we knew were going to be there forever. Cause real estate's one of those things you can literally boom, quit, go get your broker's license, start your own company in a week. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like some of these guys that have been with us that we trained that are badasses. I'm like, I don't want to lose them. So as partners, we talked about, hey, let's just fraction, let's break some of our ownership down and let's offer shares to some of the agents, but let's put this criteria together. So now there's probably 60 different owners now so we have um the original owners and then we have b share partners yeah um so the original founders now there's still five of us um we own a majority of the company but then we have a ton of the agents that um own parts of the company and actually i'm getting ready to sell some shares next month to i think like 36 more guys which is to me is awesome like having i want everyone to be an owner that's what i said i said i hope that i sell all my shares and hold small percentage someday because I know at that time we're just blowing numbers through the roof at that, you know, everyone's making money. Well, it's, it, it, it really incentivizes a certain type of person to, to earn that and get to that point. I mean, it, it's going to be the same way with us, quite honestly, because yeah. you want employees, which that's what an, you know, a broker is with you guys they're an employee of the company you want them to think like an owner and to be motivated to grow their territory because like when i was listening to some of your guys talk down there it's interesting because it's not like they're just brokers into you guys like a lot of those guys have 
brokers under them and they're hiring their own assistants and they're literally growing like you said they're growing their their brokerage as if it's their own personal real estate company yeah within a company yep and that's what we're we're pushing that more and more we want all these guys to build their own teams and treat it like it's it's your business like it's your business underneath the umbrella of whitetail properties mm-hmm. um because it it just makes everyone stronger and so, you know, we opened an office in Bozeman last year next to the Sitka, the remodel over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really good because, you know, out west, you know, the Holland Halls, the bigger Sotheby's, like, they've got big store presence in, like, Bozeman, all these right. tourist towns. So it's like, to honestly, to get in the game with some of the stuff, we had to bite the bullet and just open store. Because almost 99% of my guys their office is their truck or right. their home office. Right. Um, there's, we probably got 12 offices now, but like, I mean, a place like Bozeman, big sky, these people fly in from out of town, they're walking around downtown. They're seeing the Bridger mountains there. Right. And they start to get an itch and they're like, yeah, let's walk in and see what yeah. a, what it costs to buy here. Yeah. And, and now they, and then they shit when they know the price. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Yeah. So what was that like when you guys like first realized like, holy shit, this is working in a big way. I mean, how cool was that? Yeah, I um, I remember getting, like, a distribution check of, like, 15000 and I'm like, holy shit. It's, this is the concept. It's going to work. Now, we have to just keep doing what we're doing. We got to keep driving from the, the top down to everyone else, and... um. And basically, that's what we've been doing from day one is just keep doing our core practices. It, it's been a little tough because we're getting so big now that we have, I mean, there's over 400 people in the company. So when there was the partners and like two or three dudes in the office, right? it's You easier. could daily be checking in with them and yeah. answering questions. And But now it's like we have full-time attorneys on staff, right? You know, multiple accountants and... Um, you know, uh, two girls that just run the merchandise side of the store and agent like closing gifts because we encourage all of our agents to buy closing gifts for everyone. Um, so it's like that's a full time job. So it's managing all this shit now is like, you know, it's yeah. it was cool when it was small. It's cool that it's big, but it's it yeah. always comes with the bullshit. Yeah, it's hard to stay as personal <laughs> yeah. and involved. Yeah, I mean what you guys went through is what we're just beginning to try to go through, which it's, it's one thing to find success, which that's what we've kind of been finding here, but it's another thing to scale that success and keep it together and keep that feel. And that's yet to be seen for us. But like for you guys to go from two or three agents to over 400 is, is mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, we were in that hotel down there in St. Louis and you like, you guys can't even have that there again because it's, You've outgrown a, a freaking hotel. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to go to Nashville or down by the stadium because that's the thing, too, is get venues that big to hold. It's over a 1,000 people when we do it. Yeah, so, if they're I bringing mean, spouses or yeah, anything. Yeah. Some guys bring their kids, and and then, you know, we do – you came in and spoke this year. Mm-hmm. We always bring in some guys to speak, and then, um, you know, we do auction events, and people come in for that. So – yeah, that's the other thing, too, is we, we've been growing. I think our slowest growth has been 16%, but, like, even during COVID, we didn't know what the hell was going to happen, yeah. you know? 
and we actually doubled business during COVID. Jeez. Because, and a, a lot of it too was the bullshit going on in mm-hmm. big cities. And people were like, fuck this. We're moving into the country. We're going to buy a farm. And so a lot of that was happening too. And um, so, yeah, it's just crazy because we were like, we were kind of, I, honestly, I was shitting a little bit because I'm like, dude, we have millions in salaries and everything. And it's like, holy shit, if the spigot gets cranked down a little bit, right? like, we're in trouble. Right. And, yeah. you know, God bless, I mean, shit, yeah. it went the other way. As, yeah, as it turns out, people started to look for that kind of land. Yeah. Um, where you can be self-sustaining or, you know, be away from the craziness of the city. Yeah. Um. How has, how has uh, you know, the last 12 months with these interest rates affected your business? So it was, it's been pretty stagnant. It, it held stagnant for probably the first eight months. The last three to four months, we're actually seeing um, an increase in business. Our bottom line has grown probably five to 10% over last year. So, mm-hmm. We're seeing an uptick right now. I think the initial sticker shock mm-hmm. of interest rates and just the crazy bullshit going on, I think people are just saying, okay, fuck it. This is the way it's going to be. And um, Yeah, I'll refinance in five years. or Yeah, because yeah. what are you going to do? I mean, sit back and not do shit, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, so that's the thing. Like, when you're buying, like, hunting property or real estate, it's – I remember the dudes, like, in – um, Pike County where I was from when prices got up to like 3000, they're like, well, I could have bought that shit for $500 an acre five years ago. I said, you should have like, yeah. and you should probably buy it today. Yeah. Cause it, it's going to be worth, here's the deal. So that, that stuff at 3000, a couple years ago, it's six, 7,000 now. So, right. I mean, there's, there's never a, the time to buy is always now if you've got the funds to do it. And it always works itself out. Where where have you found in the U.S. that they're making more hunting property? Like creating land. It um, doesn't it doesn't happen, right? You're not it, you're not making I mean, you can go build buildings, but like you're not making more land. The 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 land's being chopped up every single day. Yep. Every you know, square so, inch of this country is for sale at one point. That's the way I would, yeah. Anywhere I walk, any street I'm on, even in Missoula, I'm walking downtown. Someone owns this shit that you're right. walking on. Right. That's what I love about real estate. Yeah, it's and those, never going to go anywhere. In those hunting properties, um, you know, when you when you drive down a, an interstate and you drive you drive down the road and you see this field being bulldozed with a road through it in a subdivision, that's that's one less uh, farm, that's one less ranch. Mm-hmm. Which what that's doing in little minute steps is making the stuff that's left worth more money yep because again they're not they're not creating it i mean yeah unless we have a giant volcano that somehow <laughs> creates you know a million more square miles off the coast of you know the, the of california like we're not we're not making land today it's nope. just it's going away yeah yeah um, so that that idea that's the one thing i've 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 thought about like right now we're right on the verge of a major commercial property uh real estate crisis with like when I say commercial property, I mean like um, uh, office buildings, mm-hmm. you know, especially with all the COVID work from home stuff that happened. And I know a lot of companies are trying to bring people back to the office and that's with, I'd say, so-so results because yeah. a lot of people don't want to go back to the office in Portland or in San Francisco. Right. Um, 
a lot of these people went out and bought small farms and yep. they're like, well, I can work from my laptop from a small farm and I can go out and deer hunt. And now their, their company calls and says, you got to come back to the office. Right. And it's, you know how that is trying to bring, you know, once you give someone something to try to take it back is, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, you know, we're looking at commercial property right now for our next building. And it's like, God damn, that's expensive. And it's really easy to look back and go like, man, 15 years ago, that was half that price or less, yeah. right? Um, but the question is, 15 years from now, is there going to be more of that land or less? Right. It's, it's only going to go up, especially yep. with just land. If it's in a an apartment building or whatever, I could see, you know, a, a huge drop in that market, a correction. But But there again, down the road, 30 years from now, there's going to be more people needing jobs. There's going to need to be more office space. So that's going to also provide some great opportunity for people that are ready to capitalize on it. For sure. Go yeah. scoop up office buildings. Yep. Yeah, I've seen, I think a lot of it's probably got picked up, but like during COVID and this last election, I saw bigger spaces closing down. And I'm like, man, if anyone had a reason or had the cash to pick up some of this stuff right now, yeah, even for build out. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you guys are Montana-based, but even, like, outside the Twin Cities, there's, like, huge buildings, that factories that were built um, that have been closed down. Well, no one wants to go to no one wants to go to Minneapolis. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a shit show there, so no one wants to go put their business there. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably shit if I saw some of the buildings we could pick up in, oh. outside of Detroit or Minneapolis, Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you seen and I've heard rumors of this of like foreign investment in like big farms and ranches and stuff. Have you seen that where China or other countries or whatever coming in and buying big chunks of farmland? Yeah. So um we've had not so much recently. It slowed down a little bit, but I know during COVID there was different groups um coming in literally buying tillable sight unseen and it like on our side with real estate laws and stuff there's there ain't shit you can do about that someone comes in and makes an offer and they're really secretive about what they're doing you don't you yeah know you I mean? have to sell it to them yeah um so it's i think it's slowed down a little bit but there obviously was a play there that you know they are absorbing some land here especially yeah. in the midwest like tillable stuff they're picking it, stuff it, up. It also, I've heard rumors of it happening in our kind of country with like timberland, mm-hmm. um, yep. you know, and maybe what minerals are in those mountains and stuff like, you know, potential gold or any other kinds of minerals. Like it's, it's interesting. It seems like that there's some secret play out there that regular folks like us don't quite understand. I just think they're so cash rich that they know, I mean, well, shit, China was just here visiting with Biden. So who knows what shit show was going on there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Who knows what, yeah, that they, what schemes going on that no one knows about? You know, it's interesting and it's, it's what's part of what sucks with the stock market is when you're 40 years old and you've put all this money into it, you really can't, it's not your money. Like you can't take it out. No. You know, if you take it out, they just penalize the absolute shit out of you. Yeah. But you know, the markets is high now somehow I mean, it boggles my mind how it's possible, but I was looking at it last night. It's it's as high now almost as it's ever been. Yeah. 
Um, and that's even after a year of uh, all the interest rates being high. And, you know, of course they say we're not in a, in a recession, though it seems like we've absolutely been in a recession. Um, and, and all of the, the outlook is that we're going into recession period and some tough times and the market is still this high. Um, and when you talk about countries being cash rich or keeping cash, I saw some some big movement just happened with Bitcoin and there's all this, you know, digital currency stuff. It feels like the only real actual safe investment to be in is in land. 100%. 100%. You know, because if if the dollar went away tomorrow and you owned owned 10 farms or you had 10 million dollars in the bank. Same thing. 10 1 million dollar farms or 10 million dollars in the bank. And the U.S. dollar completely collapsed and was replaced by nerd boys Bitcoin or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Your land, in 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 theory, actually with with the shit show in the world that's happening, could actually actually end up higher in value. Oh, because of it. Yeah, you would instantly it'd be worth twenty thirty percent that day. Yeah, more than more than uh, shit coin. Yeah, because it, it, so it's interesting. Like I've I've thought about it like. God, is there is there a way to pull all my money out of the? Not that I have tons of it, but is yeah. there a way to pull money out of retirement and just put it into land? Yeah, you know. So we've got a ton of people doing that out of their four hundred one ks and stuff. There's ways to roll it to basically just park it into um, a trust and put it in land. Um, that's why I've always put all my money in land, all of it, because if shit hits the fan, I also know too. I know that market. You're not going to tell me what I can do because the stock market, I don't know shit about it. And most people don't, you know, right. unless, I, and even the people that say they do, they're day trade bullshit stuff. So like right. land, I know what that shit's worth and it's not going to crash tomorrow. Right. And if you see a slide going, you can sell before you ask it's burned. Right. And right. Um, you can't take it from me. I can go hunt on it. And if the world goes to shit, I can go live on it. I can live off it. So right. that's why you're seeing more and more people with all the crazy shit going on right now in our country. That's why more people are buying land. I mean, it is like the number one investment. Even like my financial guy out of Nashville, he's a um, financial planner for like a ton of the big country guys. He buys hunting property with me also. And he's like, He's like, it's crazy. I control all these millions of dollars for these famous country singers. But he goes, dude, honestly, what you do is like the best fucking investment someone can do. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, there's really a difference between real estate and land. Oh, yeah. Like I know land is a part of real estate. There's commercial real estate. There's apartment real estate. There's every kind of real estate. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I definitely caution people like not all real estate's created equal either. Like no. you could take all your money out of the stock market and go buy a house in San Francisco or Seattle today and wake up in two years yeah, and be way poorer than you are today. Yeah. Um, if you go buy a, you know, my sister's a real estate agent in Seattle, you know, and, and has done really, really well. And, you know, things have slowed down a lot here in the past year, but, um, you know, there's a big difference between a million dollar apartment in Seattle overlooking the water and a million dollar piece of land somewhere that has a stream running through it with animals on it. Yeah. I'll give you a perfect example. So in Minneapolis, when the George Floyd shit all went down, I got out of my comfort zone and 
started getting too big for my shoes and I bought some commercial lofts next to the stadium, like two blocks away from where that happened um, in a brand new building. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, I'll get, I'm going to collect this rent off these buildings. And then I had Viking tickets and I had a whole thing worked out. Um, that George Floyd, all that shit went down, literally lost my ass on those buildings one overnight. Really? Because of something out of my control. Yeah. So unless your place burns to the ground, mm-hmm. you can see things happening with land or hunting property. Right. Commercial stuff is scary, man, because shit can change on a dime. Even like, I didn't, who would have thought there was going to be fucking riots downtown and my, everyone is going to move out of the city, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, when I say they're not creating more land, they're not creating more farms. Um, but I mean, they're creating more apartment buildings in, in nicer areas too. I mean, that, and that's, what's interesting is areas you can, you can crush it on apartment buildings. Also, mm-hmm. you, you buy the right, you know, you buy the right apartment building in that same spot in the low yeah. and a business comes in and they build a new building here or there and they quote unquote revitalize a, a downtown yeah. and you can absolutely crush it yeah. like no other. But, um, you know, it's, it's also, it's also easy to just say like, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go get an apartment over in this new complex on this side of town because they've done something over here that's better with farms and with, with actual land, um, that stuff doesn't change. Like everything can go on around it. It, it actually be, just becomes more and more valuable, right. you know, as it gets swallowed up. Yeah. Especially like, so we encourage, like, you know, we work with QDMA too. So like What's we, that? uh, quality deer management association. Okay. So we, um, like we encourage people and why I think you're seeing like a lot of big deer getting shot now too is like, so it's a it's a weird thing because some people MF us for selling hunting property, right? Right. But it's also the guys that there's still places you can go hunt for free. And you can go help people, farmers and shit, and go hunt. So, but I know everyone can't afford a farm. But mm-hmm. there's still ways to get on property. But what I can say is the hunting in areas where we're selling farms is 10 times better than what it was 20 years ago. Because... Guys are investing in the land. They're making the property worth more money. They're managing for wildlife. That's the big thing. Like, um, you can look at some of these farms, some of the success stories some of our clients have, and it's crazy. Some of the big deer they're shooting, like multiple 200-inch deer on these farms, and that's strictly management. Those deer were not there 10, 15 years ago. Um, So it is, people don't even look at that side of it is, in all these states where we're moving all this property, even all these other companies that are selling hunting property, we're all encouraging people to do the right thing, too, and manage for wildlife. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, non-hunters especially, they're like, oh, fuck, you know, you guys go out and shoot everything like a bunch of fucking hillbillies, you know? And it's like, actually, that's like the farthest thing from the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and those deer that those guys are kind of managing for also spill out onto other people's properties. Yeah. I mean, those deer are getting shot on you know, Joe Blow's property on public land. Public, we, yeah. we see that in Montana a bunch. I mean, wh- what state land do people go hunt? It's the state land next to a big-ass ranch that's got alfalfa fields. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, for sure. That's where they're knocking down big-ass mule deer on just a... And people are like, oh, I shot this public land buck. And it's like, well, yeah, you did. But also you were 300 yards from a gorgeous hay meadow, yeah. you know, he, which he, good for you. Yeah, yeah. 
he was comfortable on the private ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he uh, his Onyx maps in his head got a little off, and <laughs> yeah. he, he wandered off onto yeah. onto state public land. Yeah. You know, uh, what what do you do for you know how, if someone comes and lists a property with you? Um, what do you guys do that's different? You know, if if uh, if a farmer says, "Hey, we you know I'm thinking of selling this piece of property," what, what's what makes you guys different than Remax? Um, our marketing efforts are. Um, you know, we do a lot of stuff on the marketing side that other companies can't do. Our agents are all trained in the field, um, extensive training through other classes, um, continue education that we make our agents do. Um, they know the markets they're into. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of real estate agents will just like throw cause they want to get your business. Right. So you could call me and say, Hey, I want to sell my farm here. And you could have a number in your head, but you don't really know what it's worth, right? Because Joe Blow, you heard at the coffee shop, sold for 10000 an acre. So that's what you want. Well, yeah. our guys know how to talk to the client. And we're not going to list something just to have a listing. Like, we're going to be our expectation. You know, your expectations should meet what we tell you. So um, that's probably the biggest difference between us and just a regular, just anyone just selling real estate too, is mm-hmm. like, we want it. We're not successful unless we sell. So right. it doesn't do us any good to have a bunch of shit for sale. That's overpriced. Cause then the market's weird. You know what I mean? It doesn't look right. And then we're not selling and then gives us a bad name. So right. just telling the landowner, the honest truth, what their property's worth and the expectations. And, um, and obviously, a lot of the properties we film for the TV show, our website, I mean, um, you know, just our following and everything is so massive that mm-hmm. it's the properties get out to different sources all over the country. Yeah. Where, where's your TV show now? Where can people find it? Sportsman's Channel. And then um, we're doing really YouTube TV is like, I mean, YouTube is like exploded like, and you know, recently. It's weird. Um because people's schedules and how busy people are when mm-hmm. they want to watch something, they want to watch it right then. So right on like YouTube is getting huge for us right mm-hmm. now. So it's crazy being from the old school, you know, it's like, okay, I tune my shit in at like seven o'clock. Yeah. Got to be at home Sunday nights. And yeah. then, um, when TiVo and all that came out, you yeah. know, then you felt like you were cheating, but now it's like, Fuck, man, you can get on, you could watch anything you want right now on it, our phones. Yeah, it's at your fingertips. Yeah. It is wild. I, me- I remember just thinking that that TiVo, TV, uh, TiVo or DVR or whatever yeah, was DVR. like the absolute game changer. Yeah. I mean, I, now I just get pissed off if I have to watch something with commercials. I know. Isn't that crazy? You know? I was actually <laughs> complaining to my wife last night because somebody at the football game yesterday suggested a Netflix show, and we don't really watch much TV, uh-huh. um, and actually ended up being a prime video so we're like all right so we start watching amazon prime and i hardly ever watch it and i didn't know they they bake commercials into the amazon prime that you can't skip right and it just pisses me off because i thought this is the whole point of having you know on demand i know is you don't have to have commercials but then they wise they wised up to that because they're selling commercials in it and right like well shit this is back to just being like regular ass old tv i know i know you know yeah it's crazy they figured that out Imagine yeah. that Amazon figures it out. Yeah, imagine that <laughs> Amazon figures it all out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what was the like? What was the worst? Do you remember like the worst moment or the the like the 
the point that you thought that this shit's not going to work or all over like the hardest moment you had with whitetail? Yeah. Um, I remember talking to Paul and we were at my house or in the garage or something, you know, and we're like, fuck, we don't know what to do. You know what I mean? Like something's got to change. We got to like, something's got to change all of a sudden. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in the next two weeks to where we go from eating a meal other than cans of tuna and natural light. You know what I yeah. mean? So, um, the writing was there on the wall to fail pretty easy. And that's what I'm saying. I think most people that maybe would have been raised differently yeah, would have fucking folded like a taco shell and just been like, fuck it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, but we really didn't have a really strong backup plan. We were going to struggle no matter what at that point. So right. the other partners were older and had more, um, I guess, money put away and saved. Me and Paul dumped I mean, we dropped everything in, in into it. So, um, I do remember that, yeah, um, specifically, like saying "fuck, man." Like we gave it a hell of a run. Everybody, everybody talks about, you know, avoiding partnerships, right? Like Brandon and I are in a partnership mm-hmm. on MKC. Um, you hear nothing but like horror stories about partnerships and how they always go wrong, and it's it's pretty amazing to me that almost twenty years later five of you are still yeah partners and it's still working today. Yeah. H- how is that? How did that happen? I just think that we are all, me and Paul are probably the closest in personalities, but we're all different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely the craziest one out of the group and everyone will tell you that. Um, but we've got really smart, like older guys too in our company that have been CFOs and, mm-hmm. um, And it's crazy because, like, we have this conversation a lot with people. And they're like, even um, our corporate office side, you know, they're like, I don't know what it is, but you crazy bastards, it works. Like, putting all you guys in a fucking room together. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it just works with us. We all bring something to the table. Um, And if there's any issues or problems, we all, we have meetings every two weeks. And we have sit-down face-to-face meetings every quarter. And we work, we always have been able to work through every problem. And, yeah. and obviously it's, it's always not going to be smooth, but we've always, you know, got it, everything worked out. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think because we're all so much different that we bring different things to the table and we're all at different ages. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. Um, yeah, it's crazy because I've had other partnerships that just don't work out as well. And, yeah. and I get it. I mean, it's hard, man. You got... And you get a bunch of fucking alpha males together mm-hmm. and everyone wants a, you know, it's a bunch of fucking testosterone in the room. Yeah. So, yeah. What of, of all of the hunting you've done with what you've done with all these properties and the places you've been, what's your, what's, what's the state for whitetail hunting? Do you think? I just have a real strong connection with Kansas. Yeah. Uh, I just like the people there. Um, like where I hunt in, in small areas out there, out Western Kansas, I like um, the bigger tracks of ground to manage them. Um, and you can, like, I don't know what it is, but I've always been successful hunting those big deer out there. Like, mm-hmm. Illinois, Missouri, Iowa, the tracks are broke down a little bit smaller. So unless you have a bigger farm to manage, you just have way more, you got a lot of people hunting around you. And, yeah. like, where I'm out there, I know all the neighbors. Like, 
you know, it's just thousands and thousands of acres where there's only one or two deer getting shot on. So if I got them on camera, I know I got them the next year. So it's, it's been a, it's, it's actually ruined me a little bit because then I'll go hunt somewhere and I'll like, I'll see someone like across the fence or something. I'm like, fuck is that guy doing Yeah, he's in a stand right over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, this place sucks. <laughs> yeah. No, I never really thought of that though. I mean, um, cause I mean, I've always kind of hunted in areas that are pretty big around here. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've heard of that with, you know, Michigan and some of these places that guys are hunting, you know, they're hunting 20 acres, they're hunting yeah. 30 acres, like 50 acres. Dude, it's tough. Like, so what you're doing though, you're hunting, you're hunting a deer outside his natural movements and everything, right? You're conditioning a deer to act, um, not the way he was raised. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like I'm hunting deer, like food, water, food, water, bedding, you know what I mean? these smaller tracks where you have a lot of intrusion from outside, you, the deer are smelling people all day and right, they can go wherever they want. And they're basically on the run most of the day. Yeah. Um, I, I know, I know down South there's, you know, a lot of hunters down South, a lot of rifle hunters too. And I've talked and I've only hunted a few times down South, but like you would talk to those guys and they're like, those deer, like, they come out of their mom looking up at fucking trees because they're really? like hunted so hard. Yeah. So that's interesting to me. That's like, I give credit to those guys that pound it out, like on those farms that can consistently harvest those deer. Yeah. Cause that's tough shit, man. Like, cause yeah. you're not hunting a natural deer at that point. I mean, yeah. Can in Kansas, can you, can you hunt over a feeder or, yeah, you can. So you can feed basically all year. They were going to ban it this year. And I know some people are like, oh, that's cheating or whatever. But see, Kansas is only, you can only harvest one buck there. So um, like on all my farms, I feed protein all year. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have extreme drought out there in Kansas. So my thing is I put in water wells. I pipe miles of water everywhere. And I feed protein everywhere. I never shoot a deer like off a feeder, mm-hmm. but I always have them um, like every 500 to 1,000 acres, I have protein being fed all year. And it okay. keeps those deer healthy. Um, and I've like EHD and everything, I've never had any cases of anything in 20 years in Kansas on my farms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know it's a big, you know, controversy between dnr and even public stuff it's right you know they claim and but it's like i don't know it's one of those things that it's like i don't even because you're telling me deer don't all drink from the same water or they're not eating the same acorns on the ground and their noses aren't touching the same shit you know what right, i mean so right. it's like 100 yeah. percent. yeah yeah i i have not been somebody that can get my mind really too wrapped around and and i don't i'm not putting my I'm not making a judgment on them. it's just for me mm-hmm sitting over a feeder and waiting for the corn to go off and then for just for the deer to come right into the feeder. Yeah. I just can't see how, and not that I won't ever do it. I'm saying like if I shot one over a feeder, I would feel like that's a different deer, like a deer I probably wouldn't mount or I probably wouldn't be as proud of versus if I'm sitting on a tree over a scrape or a trail or something that I've, I've figured out, and that that deer happened along in his natural path. Now, like you say, if there's a feeder 500 yards away and there's people doing stuff around you or whatever, yeah. I just struggle with, and not not that I even think it's really that unethical because I think there's so many damn whitetail. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, 
for me, as far as being proud of the accomplishment of killing a big deer, yeah, I want to do it when there's not, when it's like one-on-one. Yeah. And that's what, and so like a lot of guys grow up in the South hunting over feeders. That's just what they do. And like, so I have this conversation with people a lot and I say, you know what, that's the, but that's the awesome part about hunting too, is whatever, whatever you want to do that's legal, I say, do it. Yeah. Because as long as it, if it makes you happy, do it. Um, you know, like for me, it's, I'm all about hunting like one deer a year, one big deer a year that I have history with. Yeah. I'll pass up a shitload of big deer during the year to hunt one deer. But to me, it's a chess match. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I have history with these deer. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, 75% of the country, probably they're going to, they go deer hunting to go deer hunting. They have no clue that they're just going to looking for a deer. Yeah. Um, and that's like that's what I love about hunting, though. Hunting can yeah. be really what you want it to be. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's when I say that about the deer feeder thing. The reason why I'm also not like um, I'm not like putting my morals or values yeah. judgment on somebody because I also think it's probably the best way to get young kids into it. Sure. Like I would, you, we can't do it here. Yeah. But if I could have when my kids were young, to give them a perfect opportunity, a shot with a gun on a really good rest. And it's like the most, most ethical kill that you can possibly have at a short distance, like getting a, getting an ethical shot with reasonable time for a young kid in Montana at a deer is a challenge. Yeah. You know, by the time the kid finds it in the scope and you know, is it within a hundred yards, 200 yards? Like it becomes a, becomes a challenge, you know? And I've seen too. I've seen where a first-time hunter or kid's gone out and wounded one, and it's ruined them. Oh like, yeah, they don't want to go out anymore. Yeah, too. No, so. my my daughter, her first one she shot, Sadie. She she laughs about it now, but she was ten. Um, she shot this doe and she spined it, and so it drops right, uh-huh. and then it pushes up on its front legs. Yeah, and I just as fast as that all happened, I grabbed that gun from her and I shot it again and dropped it. And then I looked at her and I was like, great job. Nice shot. You killed it. Like, and and it was just all like this huge blur and she had no idea what happened. Like, Oh, I guess that's how it happens. Like I shoot it and then dad shoots it. Yeah. 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 But I was waiting for it to like start freaking screaming or dragging Uh, itself. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, it could have been the end for her. Um, So there again, you know, it would have been more ideal to have it in a little more controlled setting. The other reason I don't uh, like judge people that are sitting over feeders too harshly is uh, what's the difference then of you hunting over an alfalfa field, right? Right, like they're at their feeder. I mean, it might it might be a hundred acres of alfalfa, but right. you're still hunting their food source. It's a nice um, way of saying you're not baiting. Is what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's for the guys to, to f. F the guys that are hunting over the feeders, all it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, same with the guy sits over water, right? Like, yeah. okay, well, it's not a feeder, but if you also know it's the only water in, you know, five miles. Yeah. Um, are you really that much better than the guy hunting over a feeder in Alabama? Right. You know, so that's why I don't get, I, I say it's not for me, but I'm, I'm very quick to say like, I'm, I'm, I reserve my, right to be too judgmental of them because uh, they could easily turn that argument right back on you oh, and yeah. say, well, yeah. you know, are you hunting over water? You got, you got a tree stand over a water hole? I was like, well, right. yeah. yeah, same shit. It is. A couple of years ago, I shot like a 203-inch whitetail over a water hole that I dug with a backhoe. But 
the deer would disappear during the summer because there's no water on that farm. So I had to, but sure as shit, like second day of season, he was there and I shot him, you know, and I had a couple of people saw the video and they're like, Oh, that's like fucking baiting. I'm like, well, first of all, it's, I'm just being smart. I've been hunting this deer for three years. And yeah. You should say good job. Cause you figured it out, but it's, and obviously the way social media is now it's, Someone's got to be an asshole all the time. I mean, well, you're also providing water now to oh. every other deer for the rest of the year. Yeah. And oh. I and I actually got literally like the first confirmed pictures of a mountain lion in the state of Kansas on that water that I supplied to the state. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's always been, people have always said there's mountain lions there, you know, and sure as shit, I got video and pictures of mount, two different mountain lions on that water hole too. So there's that part too. Wow. You know, geez. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's is whitetail properties also, is it, is it just farms and, and ranches or are you guys into selling homes as well or any other kind of real estate? Yeah, just the natural progression of the business. We were we had to get into the home side. So um I would say we've probably got ten different specialists now that are just focusing on homes, but they're a part of a team that's part mm-hmm. of land. So it's it's really been good too. And like areas close to Chicago, we have a couple of guys. His mom actually works for another he uh she owns another real estate company that just specializes in homes. Mm-hmm. But her son is one of my rock stars by Chicago. So obviously hunting property, it's kind of hit or miss in that area. Yeah. So they work together and they co-list homes together too. So it's been a perfect fit. So, um, yeah, we just said, you know what, we were going to try to stay out of the home business because of the disclosures and just the bullshit that's added. Right. Um, but we were going to go there anyway. So now it's becoming a pretty good sizable, um, part of our market. Well, even an area like, like Missoula, Frenchtown, kind of where we live, I mean, it'd be, it'd be somewhat tough, I think, to sustain an agent year-round on just farms and ranches. Yeah. I mean, our, our part of Montana isn't as egg-oriented, and quite frankly, in the last 20 years, a ton of it's been chopped up into homes yeah. and, you know, subdivisions. So it, it would be a challenge to tell an agent, like, well, you can't list a home. Right. Yeah. Y- you know, um, he would, he'd be like, well, I'm, it's going to be hard to make, make right. my house payments. Right. You know. Yeah. But, uh, with whitetail properties, um, how do people, how do people reach out and find you guys or talk to you guys about what you're doing? Um, find homes. Is it just through your guys' website? Yeah. Um, so whitetailproperties.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, uh, our website's like crazy. It does everything except drive your car for you. So like, depending on what you're looking for, there's a ton of different ways to search, um, but then it'll drop down and it'll pull agents from certain territories and, you know, by price, by if you're looking for homes or water on it, you can break it down. Like if it's got pigs on it, even so really, you can really pinpoint it down and then you can subscribe to updates and, yeah. you know, send those to you automatically. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do is to go through and look at like real estate in the area in areas you're interested and in, see what's available. Yeah. I actually, I think people do that more often than, than you, than you can believe. Oh yeah. Your website traffic's crazy just from people just looky loose looking. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like millions. It's crazy. Like the traffic we get and like, 
you know, like bigger name celebrity type people, you know, I'll meet yeah. him be like, yeah, well, I'm on, I'm on your website all the time. I'm like fucking buy, call somebody. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's get something some bought for you. Yeah. No, no shit. Well, like I say, in the beginning of this conversation, what's, what's cool is you've gotten all the way to this point where now you've got your own hunting lodge. Um, and with everything you've done, you, you're easily in a position where you could have just, you know, hired a general contractor to build this lodge and, and come in once or twice and given approvals. But the fact that you're still like actually actively working, building, um, it was kind of a funny story. Uh, uh, Jason was telling me about when somebody was there. I don't know if somebody was there to meet you, if it was a client, something, and they thought you were the Mexican. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, the dude from Hooray Grill Company. Okay. So they came there and I was on like on my hands and knees, uh, putting the forms together for the concrete. And I, Jason was talking to the guy and Jason's like, there's Pete right there. And the dude's like, what the fuck? That's him on the ground over there. Like, yeah. Doing the forms. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. And cause he said something like later on, the guy said, well, when are we going to get to meet Pete or whatever? He's like, well, I showed you where Pete was. Yeah, and the guy was yeah. like, wait, you're serious. That was yeah, actually Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. I'm a, I mean, I much rather be hands on like working than like in an office or I drives me crazy. Like well, I rather that's be the other cool something. thing. I see, your Instagram. It seems like you're constantly on a tractor. You'll text me videos. You're on yeah. a tractor farming or yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing about these hunting properties. I think that people don't really understand is it's not just land being taken out of the of the whole farm ranch world. Like mm-hmm. a ton of these hunting properties, and I think it's the biggest misconception. Um, they still continue to operate as farms and ranches yeah. in a lot of cases. Um, Cause people have to remember when you buy that property, it still needs managed. It yeah. can't just be let, just let go um, between weeds and, and managing the, the infrastructures of the property plus the fields themselves, they'll get overgrown and they won't actually be good hunting properties anymore. Right. Um, you know, so it's interesting because a lot of times these properties sell, but then they get leased back to some guy who wants to be a farmer, but maybe can't afford to buy his own farm. Yep. And, you know, I, I, I have friends and I've, I, quite frankly, I actually have uh, a couple family members that they manage ranches and farms like this for a living. And they're really probably never going to be in a spot to buy their own farm, mm-hmm. but they're in charge of those farms and ranches as if it's theirs. Yeah. They make all the farm ranch decisions how many cows are we buying? Are we selling like all that? And it has to turn a profit at the end of the year right. or try to um, as much as, as possible for the guy who actually owns the property. But a lot of times those, those people are still allowed to do that. So like there is still like beef entering the food oh yeah, market and going into restaurants and going into butcher shops. It's not like you guys, you know, you, you made the comment earlier that sometimes people shit on what you guys do. Right. My question would be, um, well, would you rather that property sold to a developer who just chops it up into track housing? Exactly. Yeah. People don't totally understand the process. Like, yeah, they, I, I don't know how many like farmers I have right now on my own properties that probably wouldn't be able, they wouldn't be able to farm on their own, but right. I have a sweet deal hook worked out with them because I manage for wildlife and they farm too. So I'm not looking for like this crazy number on the farming side from them and it keeps them busy. They can make a living off it. Mm-hmm. And then I have another set of eyes on the farm watching it for me and they treat it like it's theirs. And that's the best part. Cause you can't be there all the time too. And right. So you have a local presence there. 
someone's taking care of the shit around there, making sure the gates are closed. No one's trespassing. So, um, yeah. Um, and even if I sell a property, I always try to keep the tenant there for the next guy because a lot of people buy stuff and they forget, Oh shit, I don't have someone to take care of this for me. I don't have a farmer. I want some income from cattle. So that's part of kind of what we do too, as agents is get everything lined up, keep the guys in place that are there or make a change if it's not the right fit and bring some income in back on the farm and it makes everyone happy. Yeah. If you think about, and this, we see this a ton and especially in Eastern Montana, you think about somebody that's been on a property four or five generations and they're looking at their, at their bills at the end of the year and they're just like, we cannot make it. Yeah. Like this farm, it's been in the family for generations and unfortunately the way the world is today and the cost of new equipment, everything like it's just not, a viable business anymore to yeah. be a farmer um, or a rancher on, especially on maybe a smaller piece of property, 1200 acres or something like that. Um, to have the option to be able to sell that to some guy who wants to shoot a deer on it, maybe wants to come to that farm once a year mm-hmm. for two weeks in the rut and hunt a, and hunt a deer. And Hey, I'm going to buy this farm from you. Um, you're going to get money in your account, pay off all your bills, whatever else. And by the way, I'm going to turn around and pay you a salary to, to, to farm it mm-hmm. for the ranch or let you keep the profits and the proceeds from that. And, and, but also offset some of the costs of the, uh, to the guy that owns the farm. That's the best case scenario for that guy that he doesn't have to let the generational farm just entirely go. He can right. still be on that piece of dirt and have the memories of their family and whatnot. Um, and feel like there's some good coming of it. Right. And quite honestly, might actually have some more money to spend where the, the dude that buys it goes, Hey, I want you to spend 20 grand next year spraying weeds. Mm-hmm. Let's build a, let's build a better road out here to this pasture and that. And you can actually probably do a lot of the things on that farm that your, your dad or grandpa might've dreamed to do. Right. Right. For sure. You know, the other thing too, is like, I always say, uh, the series Yellowstone, Mm-hmm. They've made a lot of older ranchers, uh, ranchers, a lot of money in Montana no and Wyoming the last few years because everyone wants to be Kevin fucking Costner and um, these ranch prices. So here's the deal: two, three years ago, four year, five years ago, you know, some of this pasture stuff, um, outside hunting values, isn't worth shit. You know what I mean, price per acre, but. When it got exploited and everything, it's crazy how many people want to be ride a fucking horse now. You yeah, know what I mean? No and shit. Come out west. Yeah. Um, and it's been able to let some of these guys that don't have anyone to put these ranches down to, because a lot of kids don't want to take the ranch. You know right. what I mean? And they can't afford it. So it's let some of these ranchers retire with a shitload of money in their pocket too. Yeah. Um. So that's one thing too that I've looked at in the past, I and mean, just like in the last couple of years, it's like it's pretty cool. It sucks if you're trying to buy if you're local, yeah. but a lot of these ranchers already have kind of their ranch. You know what I mean? A lot of them don't add on. Right. The guys that want to retire, I guarantee they've doubled their value just from like Yellowstone and yeah. you know hunting, exploiting the hunting and stuff. Yeah, no, it's really. It's true. Um, a lot of people bitch it around, about it around Montana, but also a lot of people have profited pretty well off of it. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, well, cool, man. I appreciate you yeah. coming and doing this. And uh, I, I'm I'm excited, you know, as Montana Knife Company, it's cool to be working with you guys. I mean, 
I got to see when I went through, uh, when I went to your guys's national convention, um, you know, I really didn't know anybody there. And then I, I walked into that hotel and it felt like I walked into like Western hunt expo. Yeah. Like the kind of people that were there. Um, and you guys had completely rebranded that hotel, whitetail properties. Yeah. And you know, there's these logos with a whitetail deer shed everywhere, Yeah, you know? And, uh, I, I remember I called my wife that night and I'm like, this freaking place is awesome. Like this is the most badass real estate group. Because <laughs> yeah. like you, you imagine if you go to a real estate convention, right. that's going to be a bunch of boring ass people. Right. Typically. Yeah. It's going to suck back of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and my sister's a realtor. I'm not yeah, shitting on yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it was filled full of men and women, yeah. um, that were, that were all badass hunters and, yeah. and love doing what they're doing. And then, uh, you know, uh, you, you guys, uh, you you, the founding members were kind enough to end up actually purchasing a knife for, for every one of your guys' agents, which was amazing. Um, and the, the stories, the messages, the Instagram photos of like those, those deer, those knives already on yeah. dead deer that they've shot. And, um, the fact that your agents are out there, sh- you know, sharing our company story, which is, which is quite similar. Cause my, my dad didn't hunt either. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just a guy in town that started taking me hunting. Okay. Um, I didn't grow up, you know, we worked. Yeah. I mean, that's just what we did. Yeah. And excavation world in Montana, when September, October hits, that's like the end of the year. Yeah. And you're not taking days off. Right. And so my dad wasn't really into it, but, um, it's, it's cool. And I I always tell people and same thing for you. Like if there's somebody, uh, if you know, some little kids asking you questions about hunting, some 10, 12 year old, maybe he's in your son or daughter's class and they're asking you, man, take them hunting. Yeah. Uh, cause I know what a game changer that was for me. That what, what it was for you mm-hmm. to just have a random guy in town, take you and, and how that, like you were bit by that bug immediately. Yeah. So it's funny you bring that up. So I, I, I think about this often is okay for yourself, your example, how many people you touch now, right? How mm-hmm. many people lives that we touch through our company. Okay. If you're talking hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. That's all because someone took us hunting and we figured out a way to make a living in the hunting space. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, so I'm actually on the board on passing on outdoors too in Kansas, but they're in a bunch of States now. So we do a lot of fundraising and like take kids hunting. Um, and the main reason I got involved too is because I was, you know what I mean? I was one of those kids. So it's like one of these, one of these kids or 10 of them or hundred of them, will end up coming out of this and they'll remember this time in their life. Yeah. Even if they don't continue to hunt, someone will pop out out of this and create and touch other lives. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's actually one of the saddest things to me. I mean, when you, you, you go into some of these huge cities, um, you know, most of those kids that live there have zero opportunity to go hunting. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to do it. They don't know anyone that hunts. Um, you know, I, I was lucky to grow up where I did, where there was tons of public land. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the unfortunate thing. And you see it with what you do. You're in the private land business. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these states, it's a ton of private land. So finding access, for sure, it's hard and it's getting harder and it's going to never get easier. No, um, That's why a lot of the initiatives where they are buying land and putting it into public access is, is awesome. Yeah. It, it's great. 
uh, we're so fortunate in Montana and places like, you know, Idaho and Wyoming to have a lot of public land. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, like, man, especially in those cities and those big areas like that, if you got a kid in the middle of a city asking you about hunting and you yeah. hunt, like try to figure out a way to get that kid out. Oh yeah. Cause that, that might be a bug that bites them that they go two or three times, you know, when they're, when they're a little kid, but they turn 18 and they load their truck up or yeah. buy a bus ticket and they're like, I'm going somewhere where I can hunt. Yeah. You know, and totally change their life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because with, with social media and like video games and bullshit, like it's so easy to get these kids get distracted now. Yeah. And like every kid I've taken has been like, bam, fish on, you know what I mean? Like they love it. Yeah. Cause it's, they didn't, but the thing is too, is you got to have mentors. You got to have people who will take them. Right. And, a lot of people are just so ate up and they only have so much time to hunt themselves that they're like, you know what I mean? But it's like anyone out there listening, like if you can take a kid hunting, man, it'll like change your life. Cause it, you can see the joy in their eyes. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and even try and take their dad hunt them, hunting yeah. with them. If the, if the dad's interested and doesn't know, like that'll help get that kid out too. If, if dad gets hooked on it and he can take his own kid, like definitely spreading the word of, of you know of hunting and what it can do for you because like you say when you're walking through the woods with your bow or you're sitting in the stand you're watching the the kind of the world around you and it's the only time honestly that a lot of us get to actually like slow down really i know and just shut down right yeah. you, you don't look at your phone you're not on the you're not talking on the phone or in a yeah. meeting um i think that's a that's a ton of the attraction to hunting for a lot of people it forces yeah. you to slow down yeah I try not to bring my phone in the tree stands with me when I'm hunting. Sometimes I just have to. Mm-hmm. But, like, in my weird brain, I think deer can pick up, like, frequency of the <laughs> yeah. phone. So I'm, like, ultra fucking ninja. And, like, I just anymore, I'm like, no cam- no phones, no phones. The camera well, guys, you, I'm like, no phone. You worry about opening up, like, Instagram or something and having a video on, like, full blast, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this all of a sudden, this one-second blast in the middle of the forest. Yeah, yeah. But well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. It's been uh, good getting to know you and, yeah, and the support you guys have been to our company has been amazing and uh, looking forward to a long partnership together yeah. and stuff. So it's been awesome sitting back watching you guys just absolutely explode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's been cool. But yeah, it's it's through the support of, you know, people like your your agents and then just everyday people out there. It's been yeah. really neat. So feel fortunate yeah it's awesome all right man all right brother thanks thanks